Hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Wow, I have to tell you, I was just listening to, to the show, the one right before this one with Patrice Lead, and I love the show. I listen very often to the show, and though I don't agree quite often with Mrs. Lead, but I love her intelligence and I love the callers. Uh, and one caller just proposed something, uh, proposed that there would be a national referendum, not elections like we have now, but one person, one vote, and people would vote for different issues and for different ideas. Uh, it would be kind of a national debate with the decisions made, and then there would be uh, some kind of governing body. That's what I understood, and I think it's such a great idea. Again, I'm not a politician. I don't know how it would run, but I love the callers and I love the show. That's what I wanted to share with you. Before I start with what I have for you today, I want to make sure that you have your assignment number nine for the WIT, W-I-T training. Uh, it is number nine out of 12 for those who decided uh, to give it a try and work on strengthening your willpower. We started quite a while ago. Now this is number, a week number nine. So the assignment number nine is for the following week, start every day with this mental exercise. You close your eyes. Start by breathing out slowly and breathing in normal. Think or imagine yourself walking along a path. Then breathe out one time. And think or imagine yourself becoming a giant 10 feet tall. Then breathe out one time and open your eyes. Okay. And if you've been doing all the exercises, the eight weeks um, previously, so you probably are getting an idea of why this exercise is given this time. Again, I'm looking forward to your feedback regarding this will training exercises. And here's what I intend to do today. I want to finish speaking about the subject I started addressing two weeks ago. I spoke about depression. And then I want to go back to the six pillars of well-being program. It's a long-term project. I want today to speak about worry, not fear or anxiety. Those are different mental, emotional, and physical experiences, but worry. By the way, I want to remind you, those of you who would like to call me during this show, you're absolutely welcome. Um, what, what, what it's one of the things I loved about the previous show, that there's so many people who are calling in, sharing with great ideas. I would love to hear from you. So if you want to call during this show, uh, you can call 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. And if you want to write to me, and thank you to those who did write to me this week, my email address is drpeterresnik at gmail.com, D-R-P-T-E-R, -E 
R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. Uh, and so many of them speak about COVID or politics. So why do I keep talking about such mundane things like stress, depression, the food we eat, or the willpower? I tell you why. Because whatever happens in the world politically or environmentally, uh, we still must be healthy and will fool to take appropriate actions. I'm not a politician and I'm not a physician. But here is what I understood so far, my dear audience. I will share with you uh, my thoughts on the subject politics and, um, and COVID. Uh, you don't have to agree with me uh, to listen to, to my ideas. Uh, in fact, I appreciate people with uh, different opinions. The whole COVID thing and the politics are somehow interconnected, I, I feel. In March 2020, I got COVID, high fever for 10 days. It, it was really bad. And at one point, I uh, later on, I said to my doctor, you know, I could have gotten this hydroxy chloroquine or ivermectin uh, and that I heard that they can help. And she said to me, as my physician, she could not possibly prescribe it to me because she would lose her license. You know, who is dictating to a physician how to treat their patient? And anyway, she said that no pharmacy would give me these this, um, medications. Later on, after I already recovered, I went to see her again. And she told me that she herself got COVID and her mother. And she had to get in some kind of illegal or unestablished way, uh, hydro, uh, hydro uh, what is it called? Uh, um, no, ivermectin, I think. Uh, and she got them at some exuberant prices. So something is not right. So I believe that I suffered and so many people suffered because from what I heard then that people who did take these medications that proved actually to work, it would take a day or two, people would recover, many. Uh, but we suffered and so many people died and it did not need to happen. Someone is behind it. But my answer to the potential threat of any upcoming virus is strengthening our immune system. I exercise every day for a minimum of an hour and a half. I take cold showers, I take quercetin and zinc and expose myself to the elements during the whole year. Yes, I exercise in the park in my shorts and a t-shirt every day, even during the winter. That's why I had an interview with Wim Hof, the Iceman here on on my show on, I believe, January 28th of this year. He's the one who suggested to, to build the immune system. He spoke about the COVID. But this whole commotion with COVID and blown up numbers uh, of people who are dying and who were diagnosed with it, 
and inconsistent messages from the authorities remind me of something which is kind of scary. You, you know that I came 40 years ago to, to the United States from the Soviet Union, quite an oppressive regime. There are books written about controlling masses uh, in Russia and in, in Nazi Germany. In fact, Goebbels, Minister of Propaganda of Nazi Germany, spoke about it. If you want to control people, give them a big scare, create an enemy, then give them inconsistent information, which always creates anxiety, existential anxiety, non-stopping, everyday anxiety. And to escape that anxiety, he taught, they will do anything. You can make them follow you wherever you tell them. Is that incredible? And the best, of course, if you want to control people is to turn them against each other. Then you have even more control. Remember, that's what ancient Romans said, divide and conquer. So all this critical race theory, I think, to make black people resent white people, in spite of all the incredible accomplishments, changes, uh, positive changes that happened in the last 60 years. Now, uh, we are called to focus on the race again and the racial differences again and white people in universities. I have several students who go to school at Columbia University and the white people must admit, first they must feel guilty and must know that they are white supremacists. And if they don't accept that they are white supremacists, this is a sign that they are really white supremacists. And that I'm afraid will eventually backfire and make some white people resent black people. And I think that's, some, that's what somebody wants. That's exactly what is needed to control everyone. Otherwise people like these big corporations or people like Al Sharpton and Maxine Waters become irrelevant. Otherwise people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi cannot have control. By the way, I am not a Republican. I am not, and I'm not a Democrat. I don't belong to any party. I love America. And I vote for those who I think are good for America. I, I voted eight times since I've been in the United States, and four times I voted for Democrats, and four times just happened for Republican. But what has been happening to America in the last 20 years is very worrisome. Now, Black lives do matter to me, and white lives matter, and yellow lives matter. But black lives, I feel, do not matter to the organization Black, black Lives Matter. Because if black lives did matter to them, and they know, many of them are, are least, uh, very intelligent people, the leaders, and they know that According to FBI, 94% of black people are killed by black people. They would scream about it. But do you hear this on any, most of the, the networks, somebody talking about it? They don't look for reasons. Why does it happen? They don't. Instead, they focus on the oppression that people experience. Then we have to get the hell out of America, everyone. 
because we stole the land and killed tens, if not hundreds of millions of Native Americans. But nobody's interested in that. That's the past. The past is the past. We are to learn from it and focus on the now. To see how the now can be made better. And that requires consistent effort, not waiting for a check from the government. There are courageous people like Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman and Ben Carson who speak about people's responsibility for making an effort on their own behalf, not looting the stores as reparations for the injustice that indeed was done in the past. Work on providing better education to the minorities and to the disadvantaged. Help them to keep their families together. Provide them with job training. Then give them jobs, not welfare checks, so that they could, when people have jobs, they have respect for themselves. And the rest will work out. Ooh, I, I got carried away. But now, uh, where, where that you know where I stand. Okay, back to the main subjects of today. Let's finish up with depression. Two weeks ago, let me have a sip of my ginger tea. That's an interesting thing. I, it's, I drink this ginger tea not all the time, only when I have the show. I don't know, maybe some psychologists will figure out why it happens. So, Two weeks ago, we discussed the difference between the conventional medication-based approach in treating depression versus a natural psychotherapeutic uh, approach. And I shared with you the, a nine-step program for overcoming depression. Yes, I gave a nine-step program for overcoming depression. And if you tuned in today for the first time, Am I interested in this subject? You can find the show of July 20 um, in the archives under um, Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox. So after the show, I realized that I did not tell you, you remember there were many, I believe, interesting psychological tools and there were a couple of physical tools. And I realized that I did not tell you about yet another powerful tool. So let's call it tool number 10. Find a highly qualified yoga teacher who can teach you individual techniques for mastering negative feelings. I'm not talking about yoga as unfortunately some people understand it as, a, as a, yet another way of working out. Like you go to the gym, you do uh, weights or you do Pilates. No. Yoga is not some kind of a workout. It is a complete healing system that includes dealing with every physical disorder and such emotional and, and mental problems as anxiety and depression. Again, I'm not talking about taking a class in a group. I'm talking about finding a qualified yoga teacher. You, you um, interview them. And if you, unfortunately, money is involved, sometimes not every person can afford having an individual. You bother, you find a way to have somebody who is a specialist and, and there are good teachers know 
specific tools that will help you to deal with with feelings. Now, I have to tell you, uh, uh, I was listening, not this last Friday, but the Friday before, I was listening to Gary Knoll's show, uh, and he told this incredible story. You know, he will always receives emails. I don't know when he finds the time to, to do all the things that he does. But he to told the story about receiving an email from a 90-year-old man who, and the man wrote that he is very depressed. His wife died, and he just didn't know what to do with himself. And um, his life became meaningless, and he was kind of dying day by day. And Gary said that he actually, it happened that this man, uh, I don't know how he knew, but this man lived nearby, uh, and Gary physically actually walked to this man's home, knocked the door, and spoke to the man, and just inspired him to do something, basically gave him meaning. He told him that there were so many, oh, oh that man said that he, I believe, if I remember correctly, that the man said it was so beautiful. He and his wife were dancing, doing ballroom dancing and playing music and so on. And Gary suggested to him, listen, when you are ready, you will go to your wife. But now so many people could benefit from, from your knowledge. Why don't you teach classes? And the man started doing it and the man's life changed. Basically, Gary saved his life. Meaning in life, you know the book. Uh, Men's Search for Meaning by uh, Viktor Frankl and psychiatrist uh, Carl Jung uh, from Swiss, um, Switzerland in the beginning of 20th century said that the absence of meaning in life is a soul sickness that is not yet identified in our century. So when people lose meaning or don't have meaning, they're, they're not living. So. So uh, meaning is super important. So uh, it, it is one of the points that I'm making in this nine-step uh, nine program that I gave you. I just wanted to reiterate it. The very first step in dealing with depression out of the nine that I gave you was social connectedness. And I, I wrote, uh, if it's possible, connect with people you trust, people with whom you can share your pain uh, if you are able or willing to do it. Inform them that you don't need to, them to solve your problems. People sometimes get scared, you know, or you will ask them for something or you will become dependent. No, you just want to connect and to share. I, you know, a, a long time ago, I attended a lecture. I believe it was with psychologist from Canada, Dr. Donald Meichenbaum. And he told us uh, about a study of people who were hospitalized with some psychiatric breakdown. And the researchers wanted to know of what was the best predictor that the patient would be discharged from the hospital sooner rather than later. And we were asked our opinion. Most attendees 
most people who were in that group, and I think there were over a hundred people in that uh, group that I was in, most people were the psychiatrists, psychologists, and social workers, and a lot, a lot of people raised their hands, and some people said, uh, definitely, and I would assume it's a psychiatrist who did, definitely the right medication. And others said, oh, it's psychotherapeutic approach. Uh, that That is the best predictor. And some suggested, no, that's a, it, it depends on a relationship with the therapist that the patient develops. If it's a close relationship, if there is a loving relationship, and then the patient will be discharged sooner. Uh, they, I don't remember now, there were a few other uh, ideas. And uh, the doctor said none of the above. What they discovered was that the best predictor that the patient will be discharged fast, or faster than, than uh, rather than uh, after a long period of time, was whether someone they were connected with on the outside was waiting for them, going back to social connectedness. It's so important to have someone in your life that you can connect with. And it doesn't have to be a relative. So you need to remember, if you're depressed, you, and often depressed people don't want to be bothered and don't want to bother anybody. Well, you, you make an effort. This is your option, and this is one tool that can save your life. Now, another thing about depression, some people, even though I, I say to people, when you wake up, you, you may have negative thoughts, and we already discussed it, that dysfunctional thoughts then produce dysfunctional feelings. So you begin to have negative thoughts. But some people, talk, and, and I gave you the tools what to deal with those negative thoughts. But some people told me that they don't necessarily have, wake up and start having negative, depressive thoughts. That uh, they wake up and already feel depressed without having any thoughts. They, the moment they wake up, they feel this heaviness. I cannot, if, if so many, and, and a significant amount of people told me that, to ignore it. And uh, what, what I, I want to tell you what it means. It means that a person had negative night dreams of which they may or may not be aware. And so when they wake up, just like if you wake up and you feel uplifted, you feel good, you had a wonderful dream, yes? Uh, and if you had a wonderful dream, you smile, you remember the details, the same thing, you may not remember, but you wake up and you had these heavy dreams. And they're, of course, reflecting your, the days that you spend in depression. And now these this depressive feelings kind of roll into your waking life from your night life. That's what happens. So here is what you do. If you wake up already without any thoughts, having a feeling of doom and gloom, if you remember a dream, you make a correction. 
uh, and you know how to make a correction by now. And if you don't go to my website, uh, first of all, I had uh, in December, I had a series of, in the beginning of November of 2021, I had a series of talks on, on my dreams. Or if you want to go on my website and read the article called Dream Work, and it's absolutely necessary uh, to correct the dream, and I teach you how to do it. But if you do not remember any night dream, but you just feel heavy, here's what you do. You close your eyes and feel the darkness. Get in touch with the heaviness, connect with it. Feel it fully. And only after, it may take one, two, three minutes, which is okay. And only after fully connected with it, you say, now I choose to close this page of my life experience. And literally see yourself turning the page and opening the new page with the sunshine. And then you open your eyes. Now, as I spoke about the step number eight, remember that I gave you nine steps, I suggested that you keep weeding out negative and depressive thoughts from your mind. But how? How to do that? I want uh, to give you yet another extra tool. Again, I spoke, I shared with you with that tool. I will just remind you, uh, particularly if... <clears throat> You did not hear me speaking about that. Uh, I spoke one time about the debater. Again, I wrote an essay called, on, you can find it on my website, called Beating the Unbeatable. And there, there is this voice of the debater, or you can call it the inner negativity, inner gremlin, uh, inner abuser, inner uh, depressive, uh, sluggish, apathetic, part of you. And I teach you very specific, very concrete tools, how to how to deal with those feelings with that experience, and how to get to a better place. So, but you have to read the article. Yeah, here is yet another and it's already fi finally probably will be the last one. Uh, yet another idea of how to deal with depressive thoughts. And you probably will want to write it down and contemplate of what I'm saying. It's a, it's a whole other powerful tool. Uh, and you need to one understand it, and I will describe it to you. And then you need to practice. Here is the tool and here is the suggestion within this tool. I want you to know that within every thought, there is awareness of the opposite, which means there is within every negative thought, there is an awareness of the opposite, that is of the positive. And the, within the, every positive, there is awareness of negative. I, I explained to you what, what, what I mean. Uh, if you say now, oh, oh, it's cold. How do you know it's cold? It means you know there, there, is, there is a time you experience when it's not cold. If you say it's very bright, it means you know what darkness is. 
or what, what the absence of this light is, because otherwise you would not have the concept. If you only experienced in your life hunger, which is impossible, you would be dead. So it means there was a time when you, you satisfied that hunger, maybe partially. And now you say, I'm hungry. So you, it means you know what it is to be not completely hungry. Yes? So any time you have a negative thought, within that thought, there is a seed for you to spring yourself into the positive. Let's say you say, oh, I am so negative. If you always were negative, you could not know the difference. If Even, let's say, if you were negative most of your life, at least you know what positivity is because you heard somebody being positive. Otherwise, you would not know the difference. So if you say, if you wake up and say, oh, I feel so heavy, that moment, the moment you catch you, the whole trick is in catching yourself, becoming aware of that negativity. And let's say you, you wake up and say, oh, another day I feel, how do you feel? I feel heavy or I feel sad. At that moment, once you catch yourself, remember, you have no control over becoming aware or feeling that feeling but you are responsible for what you do with it. And let's say you became aware now of this thought, I feel so heavy, or I feel so sad. That moment I want you to say, and this is the formula, I'm giving you the formula now. At that moment you say to yourself, oh, that reminds me of my capacity to feel ta-ta-ta. If it's heavy, if you say, oh, it's, it's, I feel so heavy, not necessarily physically, emotionally. At that moment you go, oh, that reminds me of my ability to feel light. And you think immediately you search for the experience, for the time when you felt light. And once you connect it with that, already not only your psyche, but your physiology is beginning to change. And once you graduated to that, to the past experience of feeling light, now you can imagine something positive in the day to come. Or let's say you have the thought, um, I'm so angry, or I'm so disappointed. What you, you, oh, that reminds me of my capacity to feel fulfilled, to feel optimistic, whatever it is, is the up, that is opposite to that thing that you experience, to that feeling that you experience. First you acknowledge it, then you re-experience this as much as you can, that is you bring that positive experience into your consciousness, into your present, and that will allow you to catapult yourself into something positive that you can create in a day yet to come, okay? And uh, one more last thing about, no, oh God, I have so many other thoughts. I thought we'll be able to cover, you know, we'll still talk about worry. Uh, one more thing, if you're interested in the spiritual aspect of this, whatever it is, depression or, uh, or, or other negative feeling, but we're talking about depression mainly now. Uh, there was uh, uh, Moses Maimonides, uh, he was a theologist, 
theologian of 12th century, but he was also a physician, personal physician of Sultan Saladin of, um, of Egypt, but he was mainly uh, a Hebrew scholar and master, really. He said, anything that happens to you, it doesn't matter what it is, there is meaning to it. So whatever happens, you need to ask yourself, what is God telling me? This, whatever is happening, is God talking to me. Whether you broke a leg or you're depressed. Remember, if you're depressed, we spoke about it as being pressed down. Something is pressing you down. Whether it's negative thoughts, uh, some loss that, you, loss that you had, some unfulfilled dream, some, some, some uh, being desperate, being hopeless, whatever it is, uh, say, God is talking to me. What is God trying to tell me? And remember that God is never punishing. God is guiding you to find a way. So whatever is happening is a consequence. It's not a punishment. It's a consequence of the choices that you made. And if you have freedom, remember, we're in image and likeness of God. So you are creator. If you have freedom to create misery, you have freedom to uncreate. So you ask yourself, what is God telling me? And the next is, what can I do to make it better? And one more thing, and then we go to talking about worry. Uh, you have to let go of hurts and guilts. That is, you need to write down a list of all the things and people, events that, that were hurtful. I'm not talking about, oops, that's a fire uh, police. Uh, sorry, it will pass. Uh, you have to write a list. I'm not talking about small things like I had a fight with my sister and we made up. I'm talking about things that still make you cringe. You write them uh, from the most recent you can remember to the earliest you can remember, all the hurts. And you have to find a way in yourself to forgive those people. Not because you care about them necessarily, but because you care about you. You have to let go. Every one of them. Because remember, if you accept that we are creators, for whatever, it, the, the worst monster who abused you still is not by a chance. Nothing in the meaningful universe, nothing happens by a chance. It doesn't mean that the person who hurt you is a good person. But that person is, has his or her own relationship with God. They are to pay their own debts. But it's not by chance you happen to be a part of it. You may not understand why they hurt you. Uh, you still have to let it go. And what you do is you have this list and you, you say, uh, read out loud that the hurt that you endured again, from the most recent to the earliest you can remember. You, you write this list, like only one sentence for each event, and then you read it out loud and feel the pain, and then say out loud, I forgive you for having done this to me. 
and I forgive myself for being a part of it. And then you cross it from the list. And then one by one, and you may not be able to do it in one day, so you do it in two. And then when you're finished with all the papers, you, uh, with all the list, then you burn the paper uh, and collect the ashes and flush them down the toilet. And then uh, you walk out of the bathroom, you uh, close your eyes, and for a moment imagine yourself being a bird flying free. And from that time on, any time you think about, because the thoughts may come um, about one of the hurts on the list, for a split second you close your eyes and see yourself being a bird. Okay? You, you may, uh, sometimes people report uh, to me that they see uh, the image of ashes being sucked down the toilet. That's also fine. But if you want uh, the image of the bird also, it would be appropriate. Now, with the list of guilts, it's different because guilt literally means um, that, D-E-B-T. You know, it means you, you did something. And that's hurts and guilt very often people keep people depressed. So with guilt, if it's a true guilt, if, if you did something that was wrong, you have to pay mm. the debt. You, you have to uh, make a correction. If you hurt someone, you, you apologize. And whether or not they forgive you, that's not relevant. It's now on them. Your job is to apologize. If you cannot, this person is not in your life anymore. You, you give a donation, you say a prayer, you have to do something to pay the debt. And, and then at the end, when you uh, are finished, then you do the same thing with the list. Uh, you, you erase each of them. First, you're saying, I forgive myself for having done this. Then you burn the, the list, and then you flush the ashes down the toilet, and again, walk, walk out and see yourself being a bird. And that is all for depression. So we are finished with the subject of depression, and now, finally, we go back to our big project, the six pillars of well-being. We're still on the fifth pillar, your conscious beliefs, attitudes, and character traits. So far, we covered guilt, judgment, ingratitude, jealousy, and I believe doubt. I, 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 I. We still to, to, to cover worry, expectations, arrogance, anger, greed, apathy, vanity, and denial. But uh, and I, by the way, out of those, I want to talk about worry today, but then if you write to me, you can choose, and I will talk in a couple of weeks either about expectations or arrogance, anger, greed, apathy, vanity, or denial, whatever you want. If you write to me, I will talk about just that. So worry. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines worry as a state of mental distress, agitation, resulting from concern for some anticipated misfortune or failure. Did you hear anticipated? Something that may or may not happen in the future. Yeah. We do need to consider the 
consequences of actions we take in the present moment or the events that we think may unfold in the possible future. Consider, make decisions of how we may handle possible events with full awareness that those are only possibilities because the future does not exist. The things may not unfold the way we think. And even if the anticipated event or circumstance is something that is seriously unfavorable to you, let's say, once you decided what to do about it and or how to respond, it is imperative that you leave those concerns alone and bring your full attention to the here and now. Please consider. Ah, the act of going mentally back to something which was addressed and decided upon, uh, it's just invasive thoughts, because it's a waste. It is not, it's already decided. We already acted. And you have these thoughts again and again and again. They're all repetitive. Nothing value, valuable will come out of, from going back over and over to the same thoughts. But and also you remember thoughts are really not what, what are thoughts. They're images that are in our mind. Have you ever had this experience of finding out that you were giving a chance to do something or go somewhere, becoming so excited about, about having such an opportunity and then plunging from the height of the excitement into the anxiety of what if? What if I cannot do it? Or I will go crazy. Or I will freeze. I will not be able to open my mouth. That's worries, remember? If only you were to stay with the present after the initial response. Let's say you were invited to give a lecture. Wonderful. After the moment of excitement, you begin to think of the next step. You think of how you want to share your ideas. You write an outline. You think of the audience and the best way to address this particular group of people. Or you go with your day, deciding that you will deal with it later. But that's not what happens very often. What does happen is that you become a victim of your own imagination. A more appropriate term for such a process, I believe, is like a negative storytelling. What do you think, even like very experienced, spontaneous, and creative actors do when, when they play their parts, if, if they're good actors. Most of the time they rehearse. They rehearse repeatedly with the intention that on the day of the performance, their psyche and their physiology will effortlessly, even automatically go into the character mode, right? So in just like a good actor, a person who suffers from, for example, fear of public speaking, 
or worry about how the, he or she will perform. Imagines himself or herself repeatedly, not knowing what to say, not being able to catch a breath, being embarrassed. The images are creative and horrifying. And just as a good actor who rehearsed thoroughly his or her role and finally succeeded in producing a great performance, on the day of the presentation, our speaker succeeds. He or she produces exactly what they rehearsed. Misery. Another example. You did your work. Uh, you invested your time or you invested money. And now you're waiting for results. But the results will come weeks or months ahead. What kind of life are you living in the now? Constantly wondering, worrying about what would happen. What can happen? So that's, again, telling the stories. I'm giving you examples. I promise, you know, I'm watching time. I will give you tools to deal with it. Let me give you another example. You had some physical discomforts and you decided to go to see a doctor for, for physical examination. The results will come in a few days. What's happening to you? Nothing good will come out of imagining doom and gloom, right? Here's what you do. If you're a person who is tormented by the future negative talk, by worry, step one, uh, you have to, I, I'm, I'm telling you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what, what negative experiences you have. You know this yourself, that's your problem. Physically, you may not sleep well, you, you may feel uh, anxiety, uh, heart palpitations. So I, I tell you what to do if, if you have some kind of experience, like going to the doctor or something worries you. Step one, you identify what concerns you. State it clearly in your mind. Then you decide on how you would handle the worst possible outcome. By the way, this is no different from what once, I think I spoke to you about dealing with stress. The same thing with worry. Step two, excuse me, one second, you'll have a sip of my tea. Step two, sit comfortably in your chair, close your eyes, and make a statement of your intent. I'm doing this exercise with the intention to choose peace of mind. Then slowly breathe out one time. Inhale, breathe out gently second time. Inhale and breathe out the third time. And imagine the worst possible outcome. See it as clearly as you can. Now become part of it. Go into the very center. If it's an image, even like some disaster, just imagine yourself as, as much as you can. Go into the very center of that what you imagine. Literally imagine being a part of all this that is happening. 
breathe out one time. Imagine now this image, whatever surrounds you, expanding in all directions as far as it can go. In whatever way it comes to you. And now breathe out one time and step out of it, move out of the whole scene, move out of it, but far enough that you can look at it from the distance. And as you're looking at it from the distance, say to yourself mentally, this, name it in your mind, whatever it is, whether it's a disaster, uh, event, or experience, whatever it is, this is not I. Say to yourself mentally, this is not I. This is my creation. Know that what you can create, you can uncreate. So using the will of your imagination, you can do whatever you want to do with the image. You can burn it. You can bury it in the earth. You can sink it in the ocean. You can have it being taken by the wind. Once you've done it, you can place into the newly vacated space a different outcome or something beautiful. When you're ready, open your eyes. That's how you deal with worry. Remember, the whole exercise takes no longer than two minutes. And even if you must do it 10, 15 times a day, you invest 30, 40 minutes of your time instead of spending hours in agony, destroying yourself mentally and physically. How about that? So, try it. Try it. Uh, I could, we did very well with time, I could start uh, but I don't think we have enough time to talk about yet another subject from the uh, from our list of the the challenging uh, situations. I call them plagues. I think I told you my students said don't don't call them plagues. So uh, emotional challenges such as uh, expectation and, and arrogance and greed and so on. So I will not start them. I, let me tell you a little story since I have a few minutes. Uh, let me tell you a story about love, okay? Um, once there was a man who went to fish and, and he, he caught the, a salmon. And once caught salmon went, oops, <laughs> I didn't know my life would be so short. Here I go. Uh, and suddenly he hears, wow, what a beautiful salmon. And the salmon goes, oh, somebody finds me beautiful. So, and uh, the, the man carries the salmon to the castle uh, and brings in, knocks the gates and, and the guard opens 
the doors and sees the salmon and the salmon. And the guard says, wow, what a beautiful salmon. The king loves salmon. And the salmon thinks, wow, <laughs> I'm a lucky guy. King loves salmon. So somebody really loves me. So the uh, guard calls um, the cook and the chef. The chef sees the salmon, of course, also screams, what a beautiful salmon, pays the man for the salmon and brings the salmon uh, to the kitchen. And the salmon is now like trembling with excitement because he is going to see the king who loves salmon. And so indeed the cook says to his helper, go please as soon as possible you know, bring the king because the king adores, loves salmon. And salmon is waiting, waiting, waiting and suddenly the doors open like a king runs in and says, wow, I have never seen such a beautiful salmon. I love salmon. Please, as soon as you can, cut his head off, cut his tail off and fry him for me. And with his last breath, the salmon cried out, why did you all lie to me? The king doesn't love salmon. The king loves himself. So uh, that's a story about love. Uh, very often, unfortunately, not always, but very often people say, I love this or I love this person, uh, but they love uh, what that person does for them. So that's called salmon or fish love. Uh, that's not real love. Love is you love a person no matter what. It's in, very often parents love their children like this. They love when children do well. They love them when children are even disobeying or doing something that is wrong. They don't stop loving them. Uh, and some parents, of course, uh, are not that way. But, but most of the time, parental love is such love. But in the relationships, in the romantic relationships, very often people love the other person because the other person does something for them. When people come to see me uh, and uh, they want to talk about the other person, but they come just as one person comes and say, well, I have problems with my husband or with my wife, and I let them talk and then quickly I interrupt them just to give a little shock so they wouldn't be prepared. And I will say, say quickly, do you love your husband? And when I hear something like, well, he is a very good father, or he is a great provider, or we, I know that's not love. It's appreciation for what that person does. Love is different. Love, they pass the test <laughs> when they immediately say, absolutely, I love you. But then if, if they answer yes, then I have the second test. And if they pass the second test, I know. A relationship has hope, even though, no, regardless of how much uh, pain there is uh, that they will share with me. Um, and my second question, if they say, I love my husband my, or I love my wife, my next question is why? And they, they begin again to tell me, uh, because he does this and this. So then it's questionable how much they really love them. Uh, but if they say, why? <laughs> I don't know. I just love him. Oh, I just love her. I know it's real love. You don't have to know. A knowledge, it's kind of uh, comes really when you 
when you have to search intellectually to give an answer, give reasons. That's not real love. Love is love. You don't know why. It's a, it's a, a mental, emotional, spiritual, physical event that is happening to you. Uh, and that's beautiful. And my hope is that all of you, my dear listeners, uh, experience what it is. Once you experience it, you know what it is. So you don't need to. I heard, unfortunately, uh, working with people, some people, I would say, do you love them? And they say, well, what is love? I don't know. So then I know that they don't know what love is. And it's an, an absolutely beautiful, all-encompassing event. Uh, and even if you were hurt somehow, and some people, you know, they love, and then they, they're hurt, and they say, I never want to have this experience again. I will never love. What a, what a tragedy it is. No, you take a risk. You take a risk, and you fall in love, and you give off yourself, and, and it, no matter where it brings you, uh, nobody can take away the, the richness, the beauty of the experience of loving. And sometimes it lasts more, longer, a lifetime, sometimes it's not. But to experience it, it's probably the most beautiful thing in life, uh, except loving your children. Anyway, uh, that's what I felt like sharing with you about love. I don't know why, but you probably could find a reason. Uh, and uh, now our time is coming to conclusion. Uh, next week, uh, I will have a very, very interesting guest, um, uh, Dr. Wallach, quite an incredible person, Joel Wallach, uh, internationally known author, and he has a lot to share. Uh, and then on, uh, after a week after that, I will be talking about, again, six pillars of well-being probably, unless you, my dear listeners, write to me and request something, something different. I, again, I will be happy to, to do what you ask me. I'm still looking for this connection. People write to me, but I also like you to, uh, to call me during the show and it's okay to request request things. Thank you again for being with me today. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing, to having your ear uh, next week. And peace to all who want to live in peace. <laughs>